We are um, studying the book of Ephesians, and this is our last sermon in Ephesians for um, a season. We're going to transition next week into a time of preparation for Easter. It'll be five weeks tomorrow, uh, next Sunday for, for Easter, and so we're going to, um, just for a season, take some time to consider and to prepare for Easter. And uh, the theme that we're going to be speaking on is, this changes everything, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ... and all of Jesus' life leading to the resurrection changes everything. And so next week we're going to consider um, the humble king who came riding on a donkey and uh, preparing to give his life as a ransom for many. So that, that's going to begin next week. But this week um, we're going to be studying two verses. It's really simple, really easy. Now, let me just give you a quick word on the, the two verses that we're going to be looking at today. These two verses should have been connected to verses 14 and 19, which is what we studied last week, because this is the end of his prayer. This is the end of a prayer that he began in verse 14. And so uh, verses 20 and 21 are is how Paul concludes the prayer. And if you have a Bible, you can see how that, that's connected. Uh, verse 20 is connected to verses 14 through 19. However, I thought it is vitally important for us to consider these last two verses by themselves, even though it is still connected to the prayer of Paul. And that's because I think this gives us a good picture about the purpose and the focus and the direction of our life. And it is always good to consider the focus and the direction and the chief end of our life and thinking about this. And that, of course, means to glorify God. So with that being said, let me read the closing of Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians before he transitions to chapter 4. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. You can see it in your bulletin. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What is your purpose in life? Uh, there's hyperbolic statements out there that you can kind of roll your eyes at and like, uh, I don't think that this is one of those questions where you just, you know, who cares about what the purpose of your life is? Yeah, no. When I say that the purpose of, of understanding what the purpose of your life is probably the most important question that you have to have answered i mean that with every ounce of my soul and in my being you better know what the purpose of your life is for if you fail to understand what the purpose of your life is you will end up wandering around your days and your life wasting it or wandering around accomplishing nothing or doing nothing what is the purpose of your life do you have a solid answer to that question. What is the purpose of your life? What is its goal? What is its aim? Do you have a good answer for that? Now, I'm thankful that I am not left to answer this question on my own. That I have actually shoulders that I get to stand on. People who tell me, let me tell you something. This is the purpose of your life. And there's these church fathers that, that hundreds of years ago that 
we're asking the same question. What is the purpose of life? What is the chief end of our, our life? The chief end of man? What is the purpose? And these church fathers said, okay, well, we, we, we know we got we to gotta look at scripture. We got we to, gotta, what, what does the Bible say about our chief end? What is this? And these church fathers talked and discussed, and they came up with this very short, simple answer to that question. Man's chief end, the purpose of life, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I mean, that's a good place to start and to understand. They said this because the Apostle Paul, probably the most prominent New Testament um, apostle, uh, disciple of Jesus, wrote this in, in the, to his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of of God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I'm thankful to know that question and the answer, but oftentimes I have no idea what that means, or maybe a little bit what it means, but not really how to do it. Indeed, to glorify something or to glorify God means to make much of God. To glorify God means to praise God, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what it means to glorify God, to worship him, to be in love with him, to be captivated by him. This is what it means to glorify God. If you're like me, though, and you're honest with your life, and maybe you even know what I talked about, that the man's chief end, that the purpose of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Maybe you know that. But if you're honest with yourself, how you doing on that purpose? If you're like me, you know that it is very difficult to remain on purpose and to remain steadfast in that glorifying of God and enjoying him forever. It is a difficult task. It is, a, it is a struggle so much, and here's why. Because sometimes we don't see God, and all we have is ourselves. And we actually, rather than glorifying God, we seek to glorify ourselves. Drawing attention to ourselves. Seeking our own end, our own worth, our own name. Indeed, it is difficult to glorify God when you're seeking to glorify yourself I think, though, for many of us, there's a longing. There's a longing for us. And we say, okay, it's, this is all I know to glorify myself, but there's a part of me that says there's something more. And we hear stories of, of soldiers throwing themselves on suicide bombers to protect the, the people in their groups. And we say, you know what, there's something beautiful about giving one's life for another. There's something, there's something profound in that. And indeed, this is what the purpose of our life is, to give our lives for another. But how do we get there? How are we going to get to the point where we remain on purpose and we remain steadfast in the very purpose of our lives according to Scripture and to the church fathers? How do we glorify God and enjoy him forever? Well, of course, in Ephesians 3, what we have here is Paul glorifying in God. He's praising God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ forever and ever and amen. Here Paul is wrapped up in glorifying God. How do we get there? And it's so simple. In this glorying of Paul, he actually tells us a little bit, he's just real brief, 
And this is not the only reason why we give glory to God, but he gives us a picture in this passage that we see. Why do we glorify God? And there's just simply two things. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory. See, there's a reason why Paul goes off into this doxology. And if you don't know what doxology means, doxa in Greek means glory. Ology is the way you do it. So doxology, what we sing is just glory. Glory to God. And so Paul is just enamored in this doxology of God, but his doxology is uniquely tied to his theology. And indeed, if we are going to live on purpose for God, if our life is going to be one great doxology, then we have to have a proper theology, as Paul shows us here. And I just want to focus on the two aspects of God that Paul just considers as he's praising God. And those are the two things we're going to look at this morning. Two aspects of God that we're going to look at. The first aspect of God that we're going to look at this morning is that God is able. That God is able. You don't, need, you don't need to have a deep understanding of the Bible to, to, to see this right in Paul's prayer. Now to him who is able, able, able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Now to him be the glory. See, Paul in his mind understands that God's ability literally is greater than our mind can comprehend. Far greater than all we ask or we think. And I think many of you in this room can say, you know what? I believe that. Like, I believe that. I, I do see it. I, I, you can think of stories of the Bible all in your life when you're like, you know, I, I've seen God do those things. And wow, these are beautiful stories. And the resurrection. And, and, and so it's here. It's in our minds. But there's a great distance between our minds and our hearts. So we get it theoretically, but, but we fail to get it practically. And in our failure to understand this practically, that God is able, we actually focus on the glory of ourselves rather than the glory to God. I think Paul is so wrapped up in who God is and how uh, capable God is and his ability that it is this thought that leads him to glorifying God, to remaining on purpose as it is for us. So if you want to remain in this purpose that God has given your given to you for your life to make much of him to praise him you have to understand that God is able. But we don't get that. Of course as a pastor I want to help you get that and so how in the world do we get what's theoretical in our minds to what's practically in our hearts? How do we get this? How do we believe this with all of our being that God is able? Well, there's one theologian named J.I. Packer who says, just look at the scriptures. And the scriptures are going to help you get this from your mind to your heart. And J.I. Packer, I think, beautifully does this in his book, Knowing God. He brings us to the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And he says, Here's what, you, want to, you want to get who God is deep into your heart? Here's what you got to do is you got to compare God. you got to compare God to other things. This is what Isaiah did in chapter 40 of his book. And I, I, so, so there's four things I want us to compare God so that we can press who God is deep into our hearts that we might remain purposeful on him just in this part. We've got to compare God's ability to our ability. That's the first thing. We've got to compare God's ability to our ability. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you understand that you 
are finite. And though you might be powerful, that in truth, you do not have lots of power. Do you understand that? Well, you probably do and you probably don't. Because you spend most of your life trying to get power to do things like that. But in truth, you're a finite creature. You will die. You have no power over death. Uh, you will hope to do things that you, you, you want to do. You think you're capable of doing, but you will never do it because you are not powerful enough. You've got to compare who you really are to who God is. This is what Isaiah says in chapter 40, compared God, comparing God to you and to me. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountain in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has done this? Have you or has God? If you want to get this truth of who God is and his ability deep in your heart, you actually have to come to the end of yourself. And you have to wrestle with this. You are not powerful in and of yourself. Um, this is, uh, I'm, I'm going to rabbit trail for a second, um, but this is an answer of God's prayer for this church. But this week, um, we interviewed Blake Reap. Some of you know he was here not a few weeks ago for the call. And he was telling us about the call. Well, Blake was interviewing with me and the, the leaders of our church to come on staff here at Central Prez. And um, he's going to be, um, and he's been approved and it's all good to go. And so it's praise be to God for that. But in this meeting, I love this story. I, did, I never heard this story from Blake. But they asked Blake, Blake, how did you come to faith? How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? <laughs> Funny story. He goes, well, I'm a skateboarder. And, I was, and we all laughed at that. And he said, I'm going to do a kickflip. And so Blake is like at the skate park and he's like, I'm going to do a kickflip. And he tried to do, do the kickflip and he was like a ninth grade young kid. So this is good. Put some context for, for a guy. He didn't land a kickflip. And he came to the realization, I can't do it. And he said, I literally stopped when I couldn't do that kickflip. And I called my friend and I said, I need to go to church. And from not being able to do a kickflip, the man finds himself in a church and he gives his life to Christ who is able. It's a funny story. It's a silly story. But this is the truth of all of us. Have you come to the reality that in and of yourself you are powerless, that God is indeed powerful? For he has measured the heavens in his hand. We've got to compare our inability to God's ability. This is what Isaiah is telling us. If we want to get this truth from our head to our heart, this is what we've got to do. The second thing that Isaiah takes us to is that we've got to compare God's ability to the, to the ability of a, of a nation, of a nation. There's this, uh, it's a kind of a cheesy video on Amazon Prime right now. Paul, you would love it because it's a Francis Schaeffer video. It's cheesy just because it was made in the early 80s, late 70s, and things like that. But it's, it's, it's called How Then Shall We Live? In the first episode of this, How Then Shall We Live? This man kind of uh, tracks the, the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire. And so many of us don't really have much of a concept of, of how powerful this Roman Empire was. But if you've gone to Italy and you've seen the, the rubble that is the Roman Empire or what is left of the Roman Empire, you can kind of get a grasp a little bit about how powerful the Roman Empire is. But in this, in this uh, documentary, this teaching time, 
I mean, you really do get a sense of just how powerful the Roman Empire was and just how great a fall of it was. And I think the temptation for all of us, I, I think even in this room, many of us being Americans think, can think that as a nation we're invincible, that nobody can touch us because we think that our nation has power beyond you know, belief. But here's the difference between the, the power of our country, the power of the Roman Empire compared to God's. This is what Isaiah says about that. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastline like fine dust that is God. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. We have to see that the power of even our country is nothing compared to the power of our God. And perhaps maybe we need to go to Italy to see the ruins of this great empire that is now literally sitting in ruins to remember that nations are nothing. The power of a nation is nothing to the God of the universe. Because God is able, but the nations in truth not. The third thing that, that, that Isaiah says to press this truth from our head to our heart is that we've got to compare God's ability to the ability of rulers, to the ability of rulers. This is what he says in Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. God is greater than rulers. Now, many of you know that I love history. Now, I'll watch documentaries going to bed almost every night. And the one I'm watching right now is the documentary on FDR, or actually on the Roosevelt's, but now we're on FDR. It's it's a Ken Burns. I love Ken Burns. And obviously, I always learn something. But one of the things, to my own uh, shame, I, that I that I learned, and it's really simple, was the president who followed Woodrow Wilson in World War One. How many of you know who the pre- I'm sure there's a few who the president was that followed Woodrow Wilson. Just show of hands. I want to see who would know with confidence who the president is. Not Hoover. No. So this is a perfect example. We spend so much time looking to the power, even in our country, of a president, and yet we can't even name who the president after Woodrow Wilson is. What kind of power is that? It's a perfect picture of a power that really has no meaning, and it's Harding, for those that don't know. Harding. What is the power of a ruler compared to the power of God? It is nothing. See, we've we got to remember that the power of a prince or the power of a ruler is nothing compared to the power of God. If we want to get this truth from our head into our heart, we need to compare God to the rulers of the nations. And the last thing that Isaiah does, and, uh, this is not only compare God to ourselves and God to the, to the nations and God to rulers, but God to the, to the universe. God to the universe. Listen to what Isaiah says. To whom then will you compare me? That is God speaking. That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. 
for those of you that are struggling to wrestle with even the reality of God, does God exist? One of the things that is difficult for you is the, the creation. And I'm not talking about how it was created and things like that. I'm not even getting into that. But, but literally, physics tells us that something does not come from nothing. Something has to come from something. Nothing does not create something. And so there has to be a creator. And our God, the scriptures say, is the creator of even the vastest of universe. <clears throat> Universes that literally, if we were to study them, and I'm not a scientist that cannot unpack how big and great and vast the universe is. Now, it, it boggles my mind to consider some of these Billions and billions of light years wide and big are these universes. But but scripture says that God holds them in his hand. He is the creator. He is the one who spun these galaxies and universes together. Isaiah concludes chapter 40 with these words, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You see, the more we consider who God is and comparing him to ourselves and to the nations and to rulers and to the universe, the more this happens and the, the more we begin to understand that now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, The more we press that down deep in our hearts, the more we go, woe is me, glory to God, glory to him, not to myself. And that means the more we live on purpose for for God, the easier it becomes because it's about him and not about us. So my friends, I want you to give glory to God because he is able to do far more abundantly than you ask or think. Give glory to God. When you are tempted in this life to live for yourself, remember God and his ability. When you are tempted to despair for the state of our nation, however you might see it, remember your God. When you are tempted to believe that nothing can be done against the rulers of the nations that drive you bonkers, remember your God. When you feel small in the world and and, and, and deeply small and almost irrelevant, remember your God, that he knows the number of hairs on your head. Remember your God. He is able to do far more abundantly than you ask or think. This leads us to praise. So how are we going to live the very purpose that God has set out for us? We've got to remember that God is able. That's the first aspect of Paul's doxology. The second aspect of Paul's doxology in prayer that I'm going to focus on is this. God is near. God is near. Following this this beautiful statement about God's ability, Paul then does this. He shows you how he does his work and where he does his work. You see this? I want you to see it. According to the power at work within us. This is what he's doing. You can see it. How does God do far more abundantly than we ask and think? How? According to the power at work, where? Where is it? Within us. Where does God do his work, his powerful work, his abounding, crazy work? Right here in this church and in the hearts 
and minds of those who have bowed the knee to Jesus. I want you to see this. The Spirit of God dwells in those who place their faith in Christ. And that means that Christ is near. The Spirit is near. And because the Spirit is near, amazing (coughs) things take place through you. Now, people, I I, I see it all the time. Uh, I, I think churches get this wrong. I think, and I'm not even saying that we don't get this wrong. I'm I'm telling you. But how do we make sense of us doing something, but God doing something through us? It's a very complicated thing. Because if it's just all about us, if we're just seeking our own glory, well, then that's just prideful. And it's actually forgetting what I just preached about a second ago, that in and of ourselves, we're powerless. Right? So there's this... That's prideful. If we make it all about us, that's ignoring who God is. That's prideful. But there's an equally wrong thing, and this is where I see it in the church, that God can do nothing through me, that I'm not good enough, that I don't have the ability to articulate the faith good enough. I'm damaged goods. I am nothing. And it's this self-contempt that, that, that's out, sometimes even praised in the church. And so you have these two things oftentimes in the church. The church feels like it's all about itself and not about God. Or the church is, I don't want to say this not because not, it's about God, but it's basically this, we're the worst thing ever and God can't do anything. It's like, uh, it's like the wicked witch of the West being water poured on it. It's like, no, 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 no. Do you not know? Do you not know how God works? That God works mysteriously, somehow in the middle. Yeah, we know in and of ourselves we're not good. Yeah, we know life is not about us. But God, according... I mean, it's just incredible. If this... If you're doubting in your mind whether God can use you, you're, you're, you're having a false thought. And you're trending towards this self-contemptuous, self-hatred thing. If you're thinking, oh, I can do all these things, then you're trending towards this pride. So what does it look like to walk the line? What does it look like to walk humbly with God and the power of God to work through us? Through us, not because of us. What does it look like? I think this is what, this is what it looks like. It's a test. And here's the test. Things start happening. In and amongst our community and in our city and in our church, I mean, marriages are restored. Uh, people find new um, energy to, to put into their work and pursue their neighbors and, 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 and seek, see bold things and pray bold things. Things are happening in and amongst ourselves. And, you know, as a church, even as our church, you know, we start raising up leaders and sending leaders out like Blake. What a beautiful thing that that is. And. And, and there's certainly more people coming down the road. This is exciting stuff. I mean, you could pray for this. And we're starting this Timothy program where we're trying to raise up people who are going to be pastors and missionaries. And we want to send them out through our church. You know, God is doing that in our midst right now. And, and so things happen. But guess who gets the glory? It's not about us. Nor is it the worm part of ourselves. God gets the glory. We do incredible things. Things are happening, popping and moving and shaking and there's this life. But guess who gets the glory? Not the church. God. And people say, wow, 
Only God could have done that. That's how you know you're walking that line. Let me ask you this. And I want to I press those who feel them that, that, that they're disqualified, damaged goods to be used by God. Do you doubt that God can use you? This is the nature of God, to use that which is damaged and broken, that which is oftentimes disqualified for the sake of his own glory. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not according to our works. It's not according to our intellect, our righteous life, but according to Christ, him crucified, and righteousness being given to, him, given to us by faith. It's not according to our works. It is by faith and grace. The story of the gospel, the beautiful story of the gospel, is that God always used that which is broken and defiled for the sake of his glory. The man writing these very words was a murderer of Christians that God encountered. And his life was changed in, in light of that encounter with God. If the spirit of God dwells within you, do not think God cannot use you. He can and he will. To God be the praise and glory. If you want to know, I'm, this is me, want to know my biggest struggle as a minister, it is this right here. Like I feel the bullseye of God right on my heart. I remember sitting in a class in seminary and we had to do this it's sex and sexuality. So it's this class all about this stuff, like weird. And I sat next to my pastor and my mom in this class. Talk about awkward. <laughs> Talk about awkward. My pastor made jokes the whole time. My mom wept the whole time, and I'm just sitting there. <laughs> but the final project was we had to trace our body. We had to trace our body, and then we had to present. We had to do all this like creative stuff with the body. And this is what I did. This is my self-contempt and my, my woe is me type thing. I, I, at the time, I was really into the book, The Wizard of Oz, not the movie. The, the movie does get to it, but the book is really interesting and profound. Because if you followed the book, if you know the book, you know that the three characters, they're seeking something, right? The lion is seeking courage. The tin man is seeking a heart. And then the scarecrow is seeking a mind. I, my whole life, I, all I've wanted to do is I want to be smarter. I want, I want a mind like the scarecrow wanted a mind. The tin man was, I want a heart. I want a heart. I want this. Is, this and so self-contempt. I want more courage. And so on this body painting that I had, I literally had straw coming out of the mind. I had a silver heart where my heart goes. And then I had lions. Uh, this is what I drew. I had lion's fur on my hands. Because I thought of myself as this puny nothingness like god can't use me well if you know anything about the story of the wizard of oz that as these characters are journeying the very thing they long for are actually the very thing they already have when 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 these when, when dorothy and, and toto and these characters are on their journey to to the, the great emerald city and something were to pop out who is the one that jumps up and says no is it not the lion? When, when they need something to figure out, they had to get across a stream. And they, they're like, how do we get across the stream? It was the scarecrow who came up with this incredibly wise idea and they get across the stream because of him. 
His mind and His wisdom helped them get across. When when they really needed some encouragement and cheering, it was the tin man and his tears who encouraged them and brought them together. You see, when you read the book and see the movie, the very thing they long for are the very thing that they already have. And so it is for Christians. When we get into this self-contemptuous and this kind of woe is me, what we're really doing is we're still on this pride spectrum. Woe is me. I don't have it. I don't have it. And this is this independent living rather than this dependent living. But for those who are in Christ, guess what? Every attribute that you long for is already yours in Christ. The power according to the power at work within you. You long to to minister or to, to, to share your faith with your friends, but you don't know how. And so you cower because you're like, I, I, I can't do this. I can't get into this philosophical discussion with them. Do you not know that the power, according to the power of work within you, that, that it says in Scripture that he will give you the words to speak to them? Like, we already have these attributes credited to us according to the power at work within us. So, my friends, because God is near to us, how are then we going to live? How are we going to, in light that God is with us and he can do incredible things through us, how are we going to live? And I've just got a few things that I want to just, just real in short. We've got to pray boldly. We've got to start praying bigger. We've got to start praying bigger. If God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, that means he's, he's able to do more than what your biggest prayers are. Have you prayed and prayed and prayed and, and really small prayers and those prayers haven't been answered? You don't know why those prayers haven't answered. But God wants bigger prayers too. Perhaps your prayers aren't small enough. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to start acting bolder. We've got to start acting bolder. We've got to start talking to our friends about our faith. We've got to start, and I'm not talking about being, you know, like in your face. That's the last thing. I'm, I'm just saying, let's just have, do you, most people don't even have conversations about spirituality. Have a conversation with a friend about spirituality. Like, be a friend. Do things more than just hang out, drink, and talk about games, right? Like, be a friend. Talk about things that matter. That's acting boldly. Because it is through you that God works. So act boldly. Pray boldly. And I guarantee you're going to start things popping. You're going to start to see, and Lord willing, through this small, you know, relatively insignificant church, Central Prez, start doing some really neat things. You're going to start seeing our city Bring the city together between blacks and whites. You're going to start to see people come to faith who've never known Jesus and their lives be changed. You're going to see marriages healed and restored. You're going to see people come to know the Lord and live lives for Jesus and his glory. But all of this is done through us according to the power at work within us. When we understand this, we glory in God. We glory in God because he's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Let me conclude. 
1674, a man named Thomas Ken found himself as the chaplain of Winchester College in England. To many, this was quite an unenviable position for caring for the souls of young boys who have no care for their souls or where they're going. Indeed, is challenging, as you can imagine. Yet despite this challenge, Thomas Ken desired for the boys to live for the glory of God. This is his, their aim. This is what the Bible says is their aim. And so he, thought, he sought to bring this reality into the life of all those boys, and he tried to do it with great creativity and imagination. And the one way, one of the ways that he did this was that he wrote hymns for them to sing all throughout the day, morning, evening, and night. And he wrote songs that would that would you know kick around in their mind to tell them life is about the glory of God. In the morning he said, Sing this, guys. Awake my soul, and with the sun thy daily stage of duty run. Shake off dull sloth and joyful rise to pay thy morning sacrifice. And mind you, this is 1674, the thys and the these are there, but just mind you. In the evening he would encourage them to sing all praise to thee, my God, this night for all the blessings of the light. Keep me, O oh, keep me, King of kings, beneath thine own almighty wings. And at the conclusion of every um, hymn that was sung throughout the day, there was one common stanza that concluded every song. And it went like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's what we come to find out and what we sing every week here. It's the doxology. All praise to God. And Thomas Ken sought with all of his life to make this a reality for the very boys that he was tasked to care for. Learn this. This is your life. In the same way for your life, your life is to give glory to God. This is your aim. And when we remember, like these boys remembered this doxology every day, when we remember that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, and we remember that God works according to the power at work within us, when we remember that he is able and that he is near, so too will our life be one grand doxology. All praise to him. Praise to him throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. I don't know why, Lord, but it's certainly probably a sin, and I, I, I don't notice it, but we forget you. We forget who you are. We don't praise you. We don't have a doxological life being being all wordy, Lord, but... We don't have a doxological life because we don't have a theological life. But your word reminds us this day, Paul reminds us that you are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And that you're able to do that through us. Broken, sinful, weary people. It's amazing. It's astounding. And indeed, it actually leads us to more glory that you could use someone like us for the sake of your glory. And so, Lord, I, I, I not only ask that you continue to reveal who you are to us, that we might give praise and we might live the life you've called us to live. But I pray that you would do this for the sake of our community and our city and our friends. 
that we become so in love with you, giving praise to you, that in the the overflow of that, our friends might come to know you and they just become this beautiful, beautiful chorus of praise from people. Lord, do this through this small church here in Little Rock. Do this in the churches in Little Rock, all for the sake of your glory. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.